This is Flip the Library, the Gwinnett County Public Library podcast. I'm Steve Thomas, branch manager of the Collins Hill branch. The Gwinnett County Public Library's Innovative Librarians Award, which is co-sponsored by the School of Information at San Jose State University, is open to all students who are currently enrolled and pursuing a graduate degree in library science or who have graduated with an MLS or MLIS within the past two years. The Innovative Librarians Award recognizes those library science graduate students who put forward new ideas that improve libraries and library services. Whether large or small, these ideas have the ability to change the way people experience libraries. Nominations are judged by public librarians with years of frontline, managerial, and administrative experience. Five finalists were selected, and one entrant uh, from the five finalists won a $1,000 cash prize to help implement their idea. Congratulations to all five finalists, and we hope you get inspiration from all of them. And congratulations to our winner, who you'll meet at the end of this podcast. Um, I'm Belinda Bell Outwater um, from Auburn, Georgia. I manage the Auburn Public Library, and I am currently pursuing my Master's of Library Science at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. Um, Welcome to the show, and congratulations on being a finalist in our contest. Thank you. To start off with, can you tell us a little bit about what problem it was that you were trying to solve in your proposal? Uh, Absolutely. Um, In Barrow County, we find that one of the biggest problems our children face is not having enough access to books, and it leads to uh, low literacy, uh, low test scores in school, uh, not being able to survive that summer slide, it just that gap just widening every year. And so some leaders in Barrow County came together and thought about ways we could provide a more literacy-rich environment while also uh, providing more knowledge about library services. Okay. Um, so what was your proposal to help fight off this problem of Uh, low literacy in your county? Um, What we wanted to do was make books more accessible to low-income families. And so we brought together um, the school system, the library system, and the health department to start with. And we began having library employees attend the women's infant and children nutrition classes on Mondays, talking about library services and handing out free books. Adults that are enrolled in this program have to attend four classes a year, so we thought that would be four books a year. We also give them a bag full of information about county services, and um, the on their initial visit, children get a reading buddy that's a little bird. So that gives them confidence um, to read, just something a little comforting, um, and we offer to sign parents up for library cards on the spot. And you um, also have, have looked at the kids who are registering for kindergarten mm-hmm. and people who are in pre-K or maybe didn't get into pre-K as well. Yes, absolutely. We're adding uh, new target groups all the time. We uh, now do uh, Barrow Pediatrics. We do Medlake Winder um, at their wellness visits. We've added um, Family Connections. Uh, we've added, as you said, the pre-K and the uh, kindergarten registrations and we are looking at at working with Barrow Family Connection to give books away at their um, holiday event where 
parents from low-income families can get Christmas presents for their children. We want to make books a part of that. We have um, added the Child Find program, and we recently decided that we were going to give Barrow's foster children. We went from four books a year to eight books a year. And can you talk about what the Child Find product is? is, that, is that, that's similar, I think, in people who are not in Georgia won't know this, but kind of like babies can't wait for Georgia. Yes. it's uh, The Child Find program is children who potentially have developmental delays, who need a little bit of extra attention. Um, there's a group with the Barrow, there's a department with the Barrow County uh, school system that identifies those children, and they work with them throughout the year. And so when they have those visits, they get free books. And this is something you've already implemented, is that correct? Yes. To some degree. Yes. We are uh, three years into the program, and we've signed up over um, 1,000 individuals for free library cards, and we've distributed over 11,000 new books and over 9,000 used books. And can you talk a little bit about, for the listeners maybe who aren't in Georgia, um, what what it means to sign up for a library card and as part of Pines in Georgia? So it's not just access to the library in Barrow County, Georgia, it's more than that. Yes, libraries are way more than books these days. Um, Here in Georgia, we're part of the Pines system, which is um, almost statewide. Um, There are just a few libraries that aren't part of us, and that consortium gives you access to not only the books in your physical location closest to your home, but we can request books from almost any other library. You get um, access to e-books and learning tools and like learning a new language or study guides like if you want to take the post office exam you can take practice tests online for free without having to pay for that costly book um and we really and not only in their physical location you have access to um books but there's some libraries have cds with lots One of our most popular items is DVDs because there's no more video stores and not everyone has internet at home to stream. Mm -hmm. And so that's hugely popular. And have you found that this has been helpful? I mean, you said you've registered, I think, a thousand new library holders. Are you, can you tell if this has increased like your door count? I mean, are the people actually coming to use the library after they've gotten their cards? Do you know? Well, we um, received a grant through the um, pilot. Innovation grant. Did I just butcher that? Um, we, anyway, we want a grant through the school system. If you want to start that over again, I'll okay. Yeah. Say okay. how you want to say. It. <laughs> Let me think. Innovation pilot summit. Innovation all be summit. Ended. Right. Right. Okay. Right. We want a grant through the innovation summit pilot grant that gave us seven thousand dollars to purchase technology and take our pre-K kit, our 18 pre-K classes from Bear County field trips to their local library. And one of the components was we sent every child home with a packet that included a library card. And what we found was that 50% of the pre-K children who came to those field trips already had library cards. And so to us, that's an indication that we're doing something right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So do you have any advice for other libraries that might want to implement something like this? Because that's one of the great things about this um, Innovative Librarians Award thing is it's not only just a thing to reward people and to show, to give hurrah for people who have these great ideas, but it's sharing, which a lot of librarians, of course, love to do is to share ideas. So if somebody else wanted to implement something like this, what uh, kind of advice would you have? Um, 
I think this partnership can be easily replicated in any community. Um, every county or region has the components to do this. You have a library system, you have a school system, you have a health department, and you just need a vision and passion to draw in those other partners. Um, we are funded entirely through donations and grants, and it's teamwork. Like, no one person takes responsibility for any one part. We're all like, hey, this grant sounds great. Does anybody want to write it? Um, if you'll do the first part, I'll take over the second part. And so we're always working together. And I think if you, if everyone works on the same problems in the same way, a lot of problems can be eradicated. So before I wrap up, was there anything else in your notes that you wanted to make sure to get to? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> just want to make sure you had a lot of notes. I didn't want to skip anything. <clears throat> I just wanted to make sure I didn't forget what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Belle, thank you so much for your submission to the Innovative Librarians Award and for talking to us today and sharing your ideas. Thank you. This was a, a huge honor to um, be a finalist and to get to talk about something that I'm so passionate about. Thanks a lot. Good morning. My name is Carla Bywaters, and I'm speaking from the ancestral homelands of the Southern Paiute people, the Nuwuvi. I'm attending school at San Jose State University, and this idea was born early within my employment in the Programming and Venues Services Department. So congratulations, um, Carla, on being one of our finalists for the Innovative Librarians Award. Um, can you talk a little bit about the problem that you were looking at that you wanted to try to solve with your project? Yes, thank you. I looked around popular culture and if a picture is worth a thousand words, I found that a video is worth a million in this digital age because it's all about an interactive experience. And um, you, you mentioned in your problem statement that you're talking about things like Netflix and Amazon Video and Stars and all these things are pretty uh, under $10 a month. There's free sites with all kinds of things. So kind of how does the library fit in with that? Well, I looked around and I wondered, where were we? For the homebound customer, I noticed that our programs take place only at the library. Mm -hmm. Also, for repeat customers, there were many programs that happened at the same time. You couldn't go to all of them and or maybe you had to work at that time. For those with limited transportation, they would find it in the larger districts harder to get across town. So I thought, why don't we upload these videos of, say, perhaps a yoga class and have those accessible easily for our patrons? Just like, uh, say, TEDx... LinkedIn Learning, we want to make sure that we get to where our patrons are, meet them where they're at. What, 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 your, your idea basically is to film these and put them out. How would you see distributing this information? How would you get it out to people? I would get the filming out whether it was on Vimeo, YouTube, and somehow those could be housed perhaps within your library IT department 
or, you know, you can have your library card be able to access other services and reach that on-demand learning that way. I understand that smaller libraries may not be able to do that immediately, and the larger districts may. Um, So what I would suggest is implementing it incrementally as your budget allows and heading toward that end. Right. And there are a lot of free solutions. I mean, you can use things like YouTube and Vimeo without having to pay anything. You do. You would have to obviously have a camera to record the, the things in the first place. But there's lots of free options to help people out. You know, it could be somewhat like a Facebook experience. Um, I've seen a lot of people recently doing their business calls, business entrepreneurial promotions through Facebook, and then they can see who is joining the call, you know, give them a shout out while they're recording. And so that is yet another free way. Right. Well, well, and then I think you mentioned in your proposal even that people who can physically attend can not only do that, but they can be spreading the word on social media during the event and tagging themselves and checking in and things like that as well to um, help help you advertise your programs. Right. I think that's the most important aspect of this whole idea in that you know, we market ourselves, and um, I've been reading a lot of things lately where libraries could market themselves more. So when people tag themselves, the library, their friends as well, I believe that their tagging their friends is tapping into our hidden market. Yeah, and to, some, and to some degree, I think you even mentioned this in your proposal that you're kind of tapping into with some of your programs with people's what people already want, which is they want to be on YouTube. <laughs> they they want to get their word out about this kind of stuff. So you're helping them out to some degree, depending on which kind of program it is. Yes, everybody today wants to be a YouTube star for sure, and I would even encourage libraries liking and or following other libraries, both nationally and globally on whatever social media channel there are, um, because this also benefits the smaller libraries as well as the larger. I think we humans are designed to improve upon others' inventions, and this applies to our programming ideas too. We should post and write uplifting comments to each other, since I believe we're in this all together. And then you also talked about um, where uh, public libraries in particular, um, but all kinds of libraries even, but are, talk- are, are becoming publishers. So it's, this is just another thing of, of producing content of, to push out to our communities. Definitely. I think we can do so much for our communities, become publishers, become content producers, even in the case of the Melrose Center in Orlando, they have an incredible recording studio. And, you know, you never know where your next um, (laughs) music and number one hit will come from anymore Mm -hmm. these days. Right. Wouldn't that be incredible if it came from within a library? 
yeah, no, that'd be great. <laughs> and this, this, this is the kind of thing to get to get that out there. Cause yeah, if you can get one thing to go even a little bit viral or something that can, that could be a lot of, again, going back to that promotional for your library kind of thing. It's, it's promoting them, but it's also promoting the library as well. Exactly. Well, Carla, thank you so much for, um, proposing your idea. I think it was a great idea. And one of the things that we love about doing this, this is the second time we've done these awards is that everybody, it's not like people come up with these ideas and then hoard them to themselves and don't let share. Librarianship is a sharing, um, giving culture. So the idea is kind of out there for people um, to take and make their own and just get inspiration from your idea. So that's, that's a great thing that I think you've done here. So. Well, thank you so much for uh, all the judges and everyone at the Gwinnett Public Library for believing in this idea. And also, since we are all in this together, I do want to thank my friends, Marcella, Angela, Lori, and Brenda for their mentorship. And particular appreciation goes to Dr. Ronald Heason executive director of the Las Vegas Clark County Library District for granting the greatness to empower me to share my gift to the 9,000 plus public libraries nationwide. All right. Well, Carla, thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you. You as well. Hi, I'm Carrie Norris and I'm currently earning my master's in library and information science through the University of Southern Mississippi. So, Carrie, congratulations on being a finalist for our um, Innovative Librarians Award. Uh, I we uh, looked over your all all of the applicants that we got, and we thought yours was particularly um, interesting. So, we wanted to make sure to have you as a finalist and to be able to share information about your um, proposal. To start with, can you kind of talk about what problem you were looking to solve? Yes, thank you. I collaborated with a good friend of mine who's currently earning her master's in art therapy. Kayla Burninghouse and I conceptualized the art and wellness initiative to encourage libraries to play a larger role in responding to the mental health crisis in America. We knew that libraries as centers of community engagement could educate their patrons and communities on mental wellness and using art making um, as a tool for self-care. And, and you talked about a mental health crisis. Can you talk a little bit about what, do you, do you have any statistics or anything about how widespread this is in the U.S.? According to the National Institute of Mental Health, an estimated 44.7 million adults experience mental illness in a given year, and suicide is the 10th leading cause of death and the second leading cause of death among ages 10 to 34. In a study by the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, half of the nation believes they have had or currently have a mental health condition, but less than two in five have been able to receive treatment. Additionally, over the past 20 years, the number of Americans treated for depression has tripled. So um, you, like you said, you, you've proposed a solution called the Art and Wellness Initiative, along with your um, colleague. Can you talk a little bit about what that project would be? As part of the Art and Wellness Initiative, public libraries could offer weekly workshops, passive programs, and then include a public display, whether that's in the library or out in the community, to share not only um, the education materials behind 
promoting mental wellness, but also the art that um, was made by patrons attending the weekly workshops and participating in the passive programs. And what kind of things would you plan to cover in the workshops? So through the workshops, not only would there be an element of education involved, but also there would be art directives that would help patrons have some hands-on experience with using art making um, to promote their self-care. And so one example that we provided in our proposal was through um, creating individualized wellness wheels um, that would depict, depict components that seemed most meaningful to the individuals um, so they could really focus on their self-care plan and expressing that through art. Um, We also suggested a um, art directive that used books that had been weeded from the library collection. They would alter the books um, to express themselves. So they might um, cut, highlight, paint, or collage an original book text. And this would help them express their own story um, in pursuing wellness. So, and then the, the second component, you talk about offering passive programs. How, how would those, how would you propose that those worked? The passive programs would display um, any educational materials used in the weekly workshops, as well as um, providing the art directive in a way where patrons could interact with the healing art directive in a self-paced environment. This would be a great way for people in the community who aren't able to make it to the weekly workshops um, to explore art directives and art making as a form of self-care, as well as provide them resources to support their mental health. And then the last part, as you said, is a public display. Um, What would be the purpose of that display other than kind of showing off um, what the art that they did? what, What else would be the purpose of that? The Art and Wellness Initiative display would be a way for those who have participated in the workshops and passive programming in the library to see their work on display to the community. And so whether the um, display is at the library or whether it's out in the community in another public space. And presumably, of course, this is something that you're kind of people wouldn't be required, I guess, to do the public display part of it if it's something that's kind of something they don't want to share publicly, I guess. Right. Not everyone that um, is able to participate in the workshops and passive programs are going to want to share their stories in that way. And so it is completely optional um, for them to choose to share their art and which art um, of theirs is um, on display. Well, it sounds like a great way to um, meet a need in this community that maybe is not being met anywhere else. And that was great that you're working with um, your friend who's in the art therapy kind of way. Is that what you said? She's an art therapist? Yeah, she's an art therapist in training um, while she's currently working to, towards earning her master's in art therapy. Okay. Yeah, and, that, and, that, that, and that's, that's a great kind of way to for other libraries that are looking at your program plan is that's a way you could initiate in your community you could maybe even find a good partnership with some other people in your community of finding these art therapists to work with because they're going to be the ones that can offer some valuable advice yes i believe that mental health professionals um, also 
are committed to breaking any stigma around mental health. And if we as librarians are able to approach uh, mental health professionals in the community, partnering with them could only make the art and wellness initiative more powerful and meaningful to the community. In planning to incorporate the art and wellness initiative programming, libraries could seek help from organizations such as the National Institute of Mental Health, which has local and state chapters. Well, it sounds like a great way a thing for a library to be doing because it really is what we're all about of making connections with our communities and helping out our communities. And uh, again, it sounds like it's a um, meeting a need that's not being met elsewhere. And I like the public display part of it because again, it's make it's sort of the destigmatization of it. Right. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for um, submitting your proposal and putting it out there for people. Um, it, it was very impressive to our judges and, um, we like that librarians love to share. So there it's out there for people to see and maybe even take up on their own. And it'd be great if lots of libraries were to offer a program like this and maybe use your program as kind of a template or a blueprint to, to do that. Cause that, that it would, I think it would be much needed. Yes, thank you. And um, I was thrilled to be selected as one of the finalists. So this idea could be out there and encourage libraries to do more um, through our programming. All right. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thanks. Hi, this is Dan Alexander. I am the technology director for Northeast Kansas Library System, where I've been working for eight years coming this April 11th. I am currently enrolled at Emporia State University out of their Overland Park campus. That's right outside of Kansas City in the suburbs. So I have, after this semester, completed two more semesters, and I will be done with that MLS degree, uh, hopefully, if everything goes well, in December. And I will be a librarian in 2020. Congratulations on being uh, one of our five finalists for the Innovative Librarians Award. I know the judges were very impressed with your uh, submission. And I wanted to get started, uh, if you can kind of state the problem that you were trying to solve as part of your submission. Sure. Well, I appreciate that. I certainly did not expect much to come of that submission. I had a (laughs) couple of people who I work with sent me the link. Uh, probably either late December, I think, mm-hmm. um, to let me know that that was a thing. So um, I kind of put it on the back burner and left the link to the uh, to the assignment, I guess, uh, for a later time and eventually got to it. The problem I decided to come up with was something that we were working on at the end of 2018. I work for a library system, as I mentioned, Uh, So we deal primarily with public libraries as the technology director for the last eight years, as I mentioned. My bread and butter pretty much is small, rural to medium-sized public libraries, providing them with tech support. We work really hand-in-hand with these public libraries, but they're not our only members of our regional library system. We also have academic libraries, special libraries, and school libraries as members. But just the nature of how we work in those various different library types. It's not always 
possible for us to come up with ways that we can work together and collaborate with those larger organizations. Schools tend to be um, an island within their district and academia. They have a lot going on at their schools and really don't usually need to reach out to a regional library system. So one of our academic libraries, Washburn University, that's out of Topeka, Kansas, which is the capital of Kansas. reached out to us, the library system, to pick our brains to see how they might work with public libraries and school libraries in our region in the attempt to uh, help prepare for incoming freshmen for the work that they were going to be finding themselves needing to complete their undergraduate degree. What they have been finding is specifically that these incoming freshmen, mostly from the Topeka area for them, they don't, they don't cast a really wide net, mm-hmm. um, maybe 25 miles or something or radius around the city is where they're likely to pull students from right. for that campus. Right. Um, but what they're finding and what I've heard echoed by other people who work in academia is that often these students um, are not quite ready for all of the tasks that will be needed to complete assignments. And usually this is digital literacy. It's something that I saw also when I began my master's program with Emporia State. As you know, often master's programs are all online. And it's almost taken for granted that people are going to be able to do things like put together a video or a podcast like you're working on today. Uh, or even a PowerPoint. So if we have problems with master's degree seeking students, uh, we can only imagine the problems that our younger people are running into that just haven't had to run into um, having to create some of these assignments on their own without much guidance. The Washburn folks had already been working on some online modules that cover various uh, topics that incoming freshmen would would really need to master for their various undergrad levels classes. So they showed us their various modules, but it was pretty clear from talking to them that it's great having the modules and they have an incredible instructional librarian and an incredible library for for the Washburn campus as well. But as I wrote in my proposition is by the time incoming freshmen uh, are already going through orientation or starting their classes, it's really almost too late to start turning, start teaching some of these digital literacy skills and have them have the ample time to practice and get used to all this various technology and how to use it to represent themselves. So that's where my organization came in, is how can we help facilitate the academic librarians to reach these freshmen before they become students at their university. So we know uh, that we have our school librarians as members, and we also have public librarians. And that's really where this problem and project that I submitted came together, is how can we work together, academic, public, and school librarians, for the common goal of preparing our young folks for uh, their undergraduate degrees? And so do you have ideas of how to do that? Because that's that's obviously a very important thing. But do you have some suggestions of how we could get started? Sure. with that? We do. Um, and I do. Uh, one of the 
First things I believe I mentioned in my proposal the the three pronged attack of uh, telling him once, telling him twice, and telling him the third time to right. get something right. really taught. Um, and so it, I believe that obviously our school librarians are in a great position to know these future uh, academic students um, really well. So they hopefully know the strengths and weaknesses of their students who will be graduating in the next few years. However, having worked for a school district, I know that there's not a lot of free time left within the curriculum for high school or even middle school. Uh, That's where I think public librarians can come in. So our school librarians know the students and they have that close bond or hopefully have a close bond and ability to work on that with the, the pupils and the, and, and the parents, but who might have a little bit more time and in their structure is the public librarians. As somebody who has supported the technology for, as I mentioned, eight years at the public library, I, I have a fairly good idea of how students are using our public libraries after school, on the weekends, and during the summer months. So it is my belief that it's within the realm of possibility for the public librarians to work with the hand in hand with the school librarians to identify young people who could use more assistance. And that could happen after school as far as tutoring goes or during summer programming. What the public librarians don't necessarily have um, and nor do the school librarians necessarily is the content that these young people need to be learning. And that's where the academic librarians can come in. So we can have academic librarians creating content, school librarians pinpointing those students who need the most attention with public librarians providing the space and the structure for these students to get ahead and get a jump on some of those digital literacy skills. Yeah, and that's that's really a great thing because you're a lot of times what we're doing in libraries is making connections with, you know, outside organizations to use their strengths and create good partnerships. So we both get things out of it. But you're talking about a partnership between libraries and different types of libraries. And that's a great thing, too, because we can all learn from each other and use each other's strengths. Um, Because like, again, you said the the school librarians are doing great jobs, but they have them for a finite amount of time during the day. Mm. And the public library then is open later in the day and has the meeting room space or just meeting space in general. So there's lots of great things about using the strengths of each type of library. And and you made a good point about reaching out and making these connections across the community. And that's definitely what it's about. And it doesn't just stop, obviously, um, with school librarians working with public librarians um, or and also academic librarians. But I think there's also an opportunity for the public library, usually the public library director for the people that I'm working with in the communities that I am. Um, they can be a community leader, these public library directors. And a lot of them have not had a chance to really embrace this kind of community leadership power that they might have. But they do know the people often on their executive board the mayor, and then quite possibly they are familiar with the people who are on the school board. So it is my thought that it's very difficult for a school librarian necessarily to get all the traction they need to get with their local school board as an employee. So bringing in people like the public library 
library director or maybe even people from the academic library, um, lends some credence and credibility to what the school librarians are asking that the school board allows to happen. And and I, I want to point out that I'm not just putting all of the burden on the public librarians and saying, oh, well, what they can do for others. But I really think um, if they were to participate in a program like this, what, what they will find is that doors will open for them on what they want to do as well. So as they go and advocate for the school library and the academic librarians, I think what they'll find is um, first they're going to become more powerful in their community as a voice, but they're also going to create these inroads with these other organizations that will come to benefit the public library, possibly at a later time when it's, um, when it's, when the public library wants to increase hours or increase budgeting, wants to raise the mill levy. You have all these people that you've worked with in the past that you've done something for before, and now they can do something for you. Yeah, again, again, making those connections, making those partnerships, that's what we're all about. <laughs> I mean, a lot, a lot of times what we're, what we're wanting to do is make those connections with our patrons, but, you know, we need right. to do it with ourselves as well. So that's sure. That's great. Often in our small to medium public libraries, it's easy to find ourselves in a silo. And maybe we make those connections with the patrons and with the, the local city planners but we're maybe not always so good about looking outside of those for less obvious community strengthening connections we can make. Right. Well, um, one of the things that we love doing about this uh, award is that um, we get all these, all these nominations. Number one of all these great ideas that we get to look through and have the judges decide on our five finalists. And then those five finalists are shared with the world because just as you're talking with your um, project of these different types of libraries sharing with each other. Now your idea is being shared kind of through the library world and hopefully other libraries and other communities will think of the same thing and be able to use your idea kind of as a template as our starting off point of making these same kind of connections and giving them the ideas to um, do a similar kind of thing in their community. That's a really neat point. Um, and we kind of take it for granted, especially as a student. Um, I've talked about being in a silo or being in a vacuum. Uh, when we're working on these MLS projects, um, a lot of times they kind of seem like they don't really relate to the real world. So it is it is really nice to work on a project and, and realize that it has a, a really far grasp as far as uh, how far the project can go. Well, congratulations once again on being one of our finalists, and I uh, encourage other people hopefully to read up more about your idea, and um, hopefully if it makes sense for their community, implement it there as well. So um, thanks again, Dan, so much for um, participating in our um, our contest, uh, if you can call it a contest. I'm not sure if that's the right word for it, but <laughs> thank you for participating, and um, I'm glad those people sent you those links. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. You can always count on librarians to take you a little bit further, it seems. Yes. Appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Dan. My name is Stephanie Rollins. I am the director of the Pike County Public Library in southern Indiana. We are a three-branch system. We serve approximately 12,500 people in our community. We are a very rural 
um, area that that uh, we're serving. And so it kind of leads to some challenges with different kinds of services that we're trying to provide for our community. I've been here for just over two years as the director, and um, it's been fun to go through a lot of changes to try and move us forward with the trends in the library at this time. Well, congratulations on winning our Innovative Librarians Award. Uh, We had lots of great um, submissions for this, but we kind of plucked yours out as the one that kind of rose above the rest of them. Oh, my gosh. I really appreciate that. There's um, so much transition going on in libraries today. And to be honored like this is is a big deal, and I really appreciate the the time it takes to go through all of the submissions and being chosen as the the top position is is great. Thank you so much. So your your proposal is on virtual healthcare. Can you talk a little bit about um, just the problem you were trying to address by with, with your solution, and then we'll get into the solution itself. Sure. About a year ago, I attended a pre-conference that was entitled Stand Up for Health, and it provided me the opportunity to look at healthcare in my community. I hadn't really paid any attention to it before then. The assignment for me to earn my consumer health information um, specialization required me to go in to the local hospital sites and review their uh, plans, strategic um, actions, and all kinds of stuff that they were going to do in it, it allowed me to see what they actually thought the needs were in, in my county. Of the three surrounding hospitals that are at least a 30 to 40 minute drive from any point in our community, only one of them focused on Pike County at all. So you you have all of these hospitals that Pike County residents go to, but only one of them actually mentioned them in their their plan. And and in those reports, there was a section in one of them on virtual health care. And before that, I really hadn't even looked into that, even for myself. And so in reading those, I then, of course, as a librarian, you research after, and, and I began to research virtual health care and, and what the ins and outs of that were to see if that was something that if my people, if my residents are driving outside of the county to get health care, well, how can the library help with that? And, of course, the Stand Up for Health conference was also talking about Um, things you can do and how you can offer professional type advice, where to go for that advice on the internet. Because if you're in a library, you know, they're asking you, what's this rash? And what, what, what is this? Is this pink eye? You know, (laughs) so we're already answering those questions. Um, And so it was kind of a aha moment for me when in the last six months, the one family practitioner that we had here in our county um, decided to go and work 90% of the time for one of the local hospitals. So now in my county, the the majority of the patients are being seen by um, nurse practitioners. Mm -hmm. The doctor really isn't even here. So that was kind of the problem that I was beginning to see was we were driving babies and adults who can't see um, out of county. 
I had a conversation with a friend whose dad, they had to monitor his blood sugar level every two hours, and she had to drive him in daily cross county to to his doctor's office just to check his blood sugar. And she said, you know, if we got backed up in traffic, you know, his sugar could just drop and I'd be sitting in traffic, you know, to get to the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Um, we had employees that had two new babies and they were talking about not wanting to get out um, during flu season to go to the one doctor's office, like I said, that we have to see the nurse practitioner for the wellness visit because they were afraid the baby was going to get sick. Mm-hmm. Or what if it's a wintry day and it's snowy? So that's kind of the problem that I was I was looking at, and that's that's kind of how it came about. Um, so one of the things that the, the thing that you kind of came to is the, the idea of virtual healthcare, and that's something that's being accepted a little bit more by insurance companies now. So can you talk a little bit about what virtual healthcare is, and then how you guys decided you could use the library to help out with that? So yes, I that was the first thing that I looked at was there was some sort of ruling just recently, and I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but there was a ruling just recently that. Um, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, something, they're they're looking into that. And it's going to now be accepted um, as, um, and and, um, it's going to be an accepted expense, let's say. And I'd have to pull that up to get that to you, but I'm sure you could could look that up. But it is, it's going to be accepted more widely for the senior population. And when I was researching it, I showed two mainstream companies that uh, people could sign up for. And so in the library, what I had wanted to do, you know, we're, we're adding study rooms, we're adding community offices, we're adding collaboration rooms. And, you know, we're spending a lot of time adding makerspace rooms for, for that population, whether it's the teens or computers to, for seniors to learn more about computers. Um, I feel like maybe we should be looking at a room for virtual health care and, and what it would require from what I was able to see, you, you've got to have a smart device. And for me, that would be a smart TV. So that'd be big enough to be on the wall for the seniors. Mm-hmm. It does require a computer and an email address. And we all know that seniors are having trouble getting email addresses. So we would help the seniors sign up for virtual health care, help them get an email address, and get their insurance information um, in the proper spot. Obviously, we don't enter that for them, but get them to the right spot in the virtual health care and say, enter it all here. And, and, and then what we could do is partner with the local hospitals on getting just the basic medical devices, whether it's a blood pressure cuff, um, it's the pulse for the finger, a, a baby waist scale, just the very basics of what they could use when they were there. And those devices are from what I was reading about virtual health care. Those um, responses from their tests are then emailed to the virtual health care provider. Um, and then that's how the conversation back and forth is is happening between the provider and the patient. And so it sounds as though when you're looking at this, yes, they can do it from home via tablets. That's great. But when you are in a rural environment and you have so many seniors that are, one, afraid of technology and, two, don't have Internet in their house, I know it's hard to imagine when if you live in the city that there are counties that um, don't have the internet, but 
mm-hmm. we're one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we are one of those. Um, people here still have landlines and flip phones and no internet at the house. They come to the library weekly to print their pay stubs, you know, um, so the idea that it would only take a room and collaboration with a hospital really got me to thinking that this is a possibility. And hospitals are always looking for places for residents to get experience. Well, why would it have to be a library staff helping these people sign up for virtual health care? What a great way for first-year nursing students to begin to work with virtual health care and seniors in a non-threatening format. Mm-hmm. And so this would add even one layer more, not just are you providing health care, but you're doing community outreach and you're working with, with a hospital. I really felt like it's doable and that there would be a, a need for it. And my goodness, these are the people that come to the library anyway and already ask you those medical questions and they right. trust us, you know? Yeah, and those are the kind of questions that we really can't answer to to to, to a good degree because you know we don't have that medical expertise. No, but, we do not. But but, but connecting that you know, but but our role in kind of health literacy is usually is, is connecting them to the right source, and so this is a another great way of doing that of connecting them straight to a doctor. Oh, absolutely! And aren't we supposed to be the champions of healthy communities, whether it's through knowledge or giving them the the tools that they need? to to live happy and healthy lives i mean that that is part of what we're here for we are supposed to to make sure that we champion our community to the best that it can be yeah and then like you said you you, you're you're even if people have internet at home you're including you you would be including things like the 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 pressure blood pressure monitors thermometers things like that things that other things that they wouldn't have at home so even if you have internet you don't necessarily have that you could have a chat with uh, a, a nurse or a doctor but you wouldn't have these things. They couldn't. You couldn't give a accurate right. reading of certain things. Oh, right. You know, if they had a tablet, they could make the appointment from home on their tablet, yeah. and then actually come into the library on their um, on their appointed time to then do the actual visit. So yes, they could still actually book the appointment. They wouldn't have to be in the library if they actually had internet. They book their appointment from home, and then they come just to the library. Which for for my county. You know, most of the people who live around here, the library is closer than any hospital or doctor's office, mm-hmm. and they come here anyway. Right. And then presumably part of this also is having a nice, safe, secure room that's private and for all the kind of for, for HIPAA kind of stuff of you, but people can stay private conversations with their doctors and locks and yes. proper cleaning procedures yes. and things like that as well. So Yes. And you know, the other thing that I just saw in one of our library books was these new private pods. I don't know if you've seen them, but this new product where you don't have to like uh, create a room for a study space. They actually have these these room-type pods that are uh, are becoming a thing now. And so when I saw those, I thought, oh, well, that's an even easier way for a smaller library to add this. Instead of adding a room, you know, you're, you're getting a quiet pod mm-hmm. and putting that stuff in in this in this pod. I thought that was really interesting when I saw that in our last I think it was the library journal, but um it, they've come a long way in bringing new ideas to the forefront to help us librarians uh add whatever it is we need for our community. And I think that that's what we have to think about is 
as the director, when you're sitting in, in your office and you're talking with your patrons and, and you're going around in the community, you know, you never know what conversation or or what conference is going to be that aha moment and say, you know what, this is really what our community needs. And how then can I make this happen for my residents? We've got to continue to think about the fact that we need to have books. We need to have information, you know, but we are still that third place that everybody talks about. The library is the third place. Well, if we're going to be the place between home and work, what else do they do between home and work than just relax or just need to get on their computers? Maybe they need to schedule a wellness visit. Mm-hmm. And how can we make that happen for them as well? You know, years ago, people thought computers at the library were just the strangest thing. <laughs> you know, maybe in uh, maybe in 10 years from now, healthcare at the library won't seem so strange anymore either. <laughs> Right, right, right there next to the coffee shops in the libraries that people never thought was going to happen either. Right, right. You know, you can get your coffee, you can book your health care appointment, and then you can actually see the doctor as well, all in the library. One stop. Well, congratulations once again for the for winning, and I hope the um, the award helps you out achieve this, and also just. One of the things that we wanted to do here, we always like to put up the proposals on the site so that other people can learn from it. Because I think librarians in general, we're all we're sharing. Obviously, like it's not like you want to have this idea and then hoard it to yourself, and only your library no. can ever do it. It's, we we want to make ideas out there for everybody to be able to um, initiate on their own as well. I have found that that's one thing about this um, this library community of of leaders that they share and and they they share willingly and they they want for for ideas to spread and and help communities out i think if we're all championing libraries then we'll all get better together and and that's what we want you know we want to be the best for our communities and if i thought of an idea that somebody else can can run with and and do great things with that's that is, you know, a bigger honor than being awarded the award. The fact that six other libraries have said, you know what? Yes, this is what we need and we're going to make this happen. I mean, what what better affirmation than that? Right. Well, thanks again so much for sharing your ideas, Stephanie. And I hope you have a great day and hope your um, innovation comes to fruition. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you.